He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here. The number one show at 5 o'clock. And uh, we're heard worldwide after sundown. We're in 36 states from Miami all the way to northern Canada and northern Europe, I, be- I believe. And uh, we have a great show for you today. And uh, in the studio with us today, we have uh, Judge uh, Richard Weinberg, a common-sense Democrat, and a common-sense Republican, former chief of staff to Rudy Giul- Mayor Giuliani. Mayor we have Giuliani. Tony Carbonetti. How are you guys? All is good. good. Thank you. And a surprise guest in the studio. Hey, hey, hey. We have, the, well, you, you, everybody knows the famous Ernie Anastas. Ernie, how are you? John, how are you? I'm so happy to be here. This is a this is a you wonderful. You look like you're at home. Well, I, I feel at home. You know, have this you is a done very. This before? This is a very friendly staff. I have to tell you, I walked in the studio today, and everybody on this. Hi, hi. How are you? It's, this is you set the tone, John. People know that you've got a great spirit, great attitude, and wherever you go, people are happy. Who I doesn't know you, Ernie Anastas? Oh, you're an icon. You're a legend. You, oh, you spent a few you, years up at Harvard now, and yeah, uh, I had a little back. fun. Yeah, I had a good time, and now we're back and uh, doing some positive well, at least stories. Yeah. Poor Bill de Blasio went to Harvard and they threw him out. (laughs) (laughs) Boston should have kept him. Uh, No, no. The important Red Sox fan, you know. Red Sox, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll tell you something. The most important thing that we all know is to be able to be enjoying what you do. We love the information business, right? Mm -hmm. That's why we're all here. We love to be able to talk about issues, uh, find ways to uh, inform people. You know, I learned something really interesting from Walter Cronkite. Cronkite once said to me, and he was a wonderful guy. Remember his voice? This is Walter Cronkite. 92% of the people believed what he said. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was the most trusted man in America. I remember Walter said to me one time, Ernie, he said, this is what we do. He said, we are watchdogs. We're not attack dogs, and we're not lap dogs. We're watchdogs. We bark and let people listen and let them respond to what we're talking about. I love that. But he was giving out facts, not opinion. Yes, that's yes. right. Yeah, it was, it was, it was all fact. It was news, not those, you. Those, yes. Well, it was day yes. when yeah. uh, CBS was owned by... Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Frank Stanton, Bill Paley. Bill Paley. Yes. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, those Bill were... Paley, I remember meeting him, and uh, he was a good guy. He really we was. We managed his airplane. We managed his did Gulf Did you really? Trip. Yes, we did. Now, uh, and Lydia, uh, uh, my sidekick here, Lydia Serrano, yeah. and we have a great show for you today, and I understand uh, Bill O'Reilly standing by. And then right after Bill O'Reilly, see, Bill O'Reilly gets president. Yes. Uh, we have Vice President Pence, so stand by for him, too. Absolutely. So first on the line, we have Bill O'Reilly. He's a prolific author of the Killing series, 20 million books sold, Killing the Killers. Uh, no, not Killing the Killers. That was his previous book, Killing the Legends. Killing the Killers was before, but there are 12 books, and they make great stocking stuffers. He also has a show on WABC Radio Monday through Friday at 9 o'clock. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Bill O'Reilly. You know, Anastas has the best hair in the business. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, he hasn't aged. He yeah, hasn't no, aged. He still looks 39. He looks the exact <laughs> same. Hey, Bill. I don't know what that is. Bill, it's but, good, to, uh, good to hear your voice, buddy. You are the best. You know that. Well, thank you, Ernie. I mean, uh, we go way back uh, to when uh, local news actually mattered in New York. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it does anymore, but uh, those were the halcyon days, that's for sure. You bet. If you walked in here, Bill, you'd realize Lydia and Ernie should be on TV 
me, John, and the judge belong on radio. <laughs> Not hard to figure out who belongs we have, we have the faces for radio. It's true. We work together back at CBS News and yep. also at Fox 5, and he yes, even came to my wedding. So yes, Ernie exactly. has been a great mentor for me through, throughout the years. But so Bill is also a giant. We know that. He's a he's a journalist, a journalist, of, right? I mean, they don't make him like they used to anymore. Bill O'Reilly, what do you, what's on your mind? Well, I was, uh, you know, it's Christmas week and Hanukkah week, and um trying to be charitable but i'm not feeling real charitable in the sense that there's a big movement going on in new york city and i they have uh, adams's attention to provide that's a key word provide homes for the homeless okay so the latest stat is 60,000 people in new york city don't have anywhere to live and the shelter system is dangerous. We had a stabbing over the weekend um, there, and you know, a lot of people don't really want to go in there. So it's a vexing problem. But when I see the uh, Coalition for the Homeless People and the other groups, they're basically demanding that New York City and state taxpayers provide, give homes to people out on the street. And I'm saying – this isn't really fair because a lot of those people on the street are there because of their irresponsible lifestyle. They're addicted to substance. I think it's 70, 75 percent fall into that category. So I'm supposed to give them a home. What about the working poor people living in the uh, tenement apartments uh, who are tr- trying very hard to move up and obeying the law and doing what they should do? We don't give them homes. We give heroin addicts homes. And that's pretty much essentially what it is. Hold on. Bill, wait 10 seconds. We have some breaking news. Lydia? Hit the breaking news. Okay. We have... News, WABC. The Supreme Court has paused the demise of Title 42 migrant policy, keeping expulsions in place for now. So that's a big deal because it was set to expire on Wednesday and there were some estimates that we could have seen up upwards of 15,000 migrants coming in the country every single day. So that's a big deal. Title 42 remains in place. What say you, Bill O'Reilly? Well, um, it's a good ruling, but it's not going to do anything at the border. You're still going to have thousands of people coming across every day because the Biden administration will not enforce immigration law. Here, here's the key to this whole thing. Immigration law says, the law says, if you want asylum in the United States, you are to present yourself at a port of entry. There are 51 of them from Brownsville to San Diego, 51 ports of entry. You are to present yourself and your credentials, who you are, and explain to the Border Patrol, to Homeland Security, why you'd like asylum. That's a law. But under the Biden administration, They don't do that. If you get here, if you're wandering around the desert, if you get one foot on U.S. territory and you say to the Border Patrol agent, I want asylum, the Biden administration takes you in and most likely you will be released in the interior of the country. And I'll never see them again. Some of them. Um, But it's staggering because most people don't understand and the migrants surely understand that they get here, they stay here. I think it's about 80% now. They get here, they stay here. For 
ever. And, you know, the press has been covering this up, um, not reporting it. Now it's so bad when the city of El Paso declares a state of emergency, uh, they have to say something about it. But I've never seen anything like this except, and, I, you know, I don't want to bore you with history. I'm a historian. You know that. But the only thing I've ever seen like this is when James Buchanan was president in the 1850s and the South was looting and raiding the arms depots for the federal government, taking arms. And Buchanan did nothing about it. And, of course, that led to the Civil War when Lincoln came in. Tony Carbonetti. Well, now we have these borders, these border towns, like you mentioned, that are being overrun. How do you do a budget for your schools, for your hospital system, when you don't even know how many people you have? They're ruining all these cities. Well, listen, quality of life has just gone down the drain. But Adams is screaming now he wants, what, $10 billion just for the migrants who have found their way to New York City. Bill, we so spent $2.2 billion on those 60,000 homeless people you mentioned. The budget, right. homeless service, $2.2 billion. He also wants to build facilities like they did um, on, uh, where did they build it? On that island, Randall's Island. Oh, right. And nobody went. Right, no one went. Total waste oh, he spent $17 million on I think. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. So you can see how this chaotic, this chaos envelops people and the country. And meantime, at the White House is like, oh, you know. I mean, well, he's I right never, that they should not be sleeping on the street. Like I, I agree with the mayor. They well, should not be. They should, was, they're mentally Vice ill, or as Bill says, on drugs. Vice President Pence is coming on after Bill O'Reilly, and my discussion with him is, I believe in immigration. We want immigration. I turn to. We should know who's he here. said. Vice President Pence says, "My my uh, uh, grandparents came here in twenty in 1923. Hmm. I said to them, my grandparents came in 1913.' Peter King. I turned to Peter King, and he says, "My grandparents came in 1903, 1910, mm. 1910, 1914, 1914. Yeah, sure. See, we're all immigrants. Yeah. Okay. 1970s, my parents. But, but, <laughs> we, um, so my comment to Vice President Pence: Yes, mm. immigration, yes, but." Let's let's. Why don't we have checks and balances? How about no, legal? How, how about, about legal immigration? Uh, forget about the word legal. I don't want to hear that crap. Okay, your president is violating I the want, law. I want people. I want uh, people to come in that love America, want to work for America, mm-hmm. that that take a pledge of allegiance to America, and no criminals that were let out of uh, jails in Venezuela or whatever. No crim, no terrorists, no drug dealers. So all I want is immigration, yes, but no... Orderly and documented. Or, orderly and the documented. Process. Is that, is that, that another word for legal? If they bring in mm-hmm. children, mm-hmm. let's make sure they don't have any diseases so when they go to school with our kids, that they don't transmit the diseases to our sure. kids. Yeah. So immigration, yes, but subject to checks and balances. And people would call that common sense policy. Absolutely. Fundamental. And I said that to the vice president. Yeah. When our my parents came here, John, I know when your dad came here, you had to have a guarantor, somebody that w- could vouch for you well, that my, you could pay your own bills. My two brothers had to sign that if my father didn't pay the rent, right, he they would have to pay it. 
Mm-hmm. And now we're just bringing everybody in. To your point, Tony Carbonetti, this is not this is not sustainable. Even Barack Obama said it recently. It's not sustainable. So Bill O'Reilly, uh, this is a big question. Why is President Biden doing this? It's not even Democrats are saying this is crazy. Governor Gavin Newsom went down to the border and said this is not sustainable to do this. Yeah, Newsom's fault. He's a big sanctuary guy. So that was the biggest bunch of bull I've ever heard. <laughs> The reason that the progressive left and they control President Biden wants the flood of uh, foreign nationals into the country is because it alters the demographic in states like Arizona and New Mexico. It hasn't altered it yet in Texas, but there's a little bit of a difference in uh, California, certainly. And the demographic goes Democrat. When my people came from Ireland, the first thing that they did when they got off the What ship, year, Bill O'Reilly? What? What year? This was in the 1860s. Oh, my the, God. You, you almost came over on the Mayflower. <laughs> <laughs> well, my mother's side did. But my father's side, they came um, because the crown, the British crown, took their land and county cabin, and they were homeless. Then, and two 16-year-old boys got on a death ship in Galway and came to Brooklyn. The first thing that happened after they um, presented their names to the uh, authorities, and there was no Ellis Island then, was the Democratic Party signed them up. And that has continued. And people who come from other countries, most of them need assistance. Mm-hmm. They need assistance. Hey, Bill, can I ask you a quick question? Bill, you know, listen, one of the things that you know, because you and I have done some work together, one of the things I like to do is find the problem, uh, discuss the issue, bring it to the forefront, and then try to find solutions, try to find answers to the problem. So how, how massive is this thing that we're talking about with the migrants? And where do we go with this? Is there a solution? Is there an answer somewhere? Is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Well, you got 5 million to 6 million foreign nationals already here since Biden was inaugurated right. less than two years ago. Mm-hmm. Say that number slowly. That he's not going to stop it because of the midterms. He didn't get repudiated enough. He's not. So you're going to look at another 10 million in here. Um, and the deadly narcotics is now at a record level. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna you'll you'll see a double of the 120,000 who died from overdoses in 21. By 23, there'll be 250,000. Big number. Yeah, but Bill. When Sarah said that the other day, five million people. This this uh, people. The amount of Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles, the population of Los Angeles in the last two years. Just that's right. And that's picture that in your head. The ones that got in without the Border Patrol and Homeland Security knowing. doesn't count them. Wow. So, and then you have Schumer come out in a total reversal, because Schumer used to be the, yes, we have to support immigration law. Now he goes, I want to give amnesty to all of them, mm-hmm. all of them, because this alters the voting patterns in certain states in the Democrats' favor, and that's exactly what is happening. Well, thank you so much, Bill O'Reilly. Uh, we hate to, we could talk for you, talk to you for hours, but we'll listen to you tonight at nine o'clock. Uh, Common Sense with Bill O'Reilly, Monday through Friday, every night. What are you going to talk about, real quick? 
I'm going to talk about Ernie Onassis's hair. <laughs> I don't know. You got to see his face and skin too. You only have an hour. <laughs> He's got more hair than all of us. Come on, you guys. Hey, Bill, you're his advanced age. How he does it, so I want to know what the products are. You know, <laughs> Bill, I'm going to leave you with a quotation. I love quotations. Okay, when someone asks you how old you are, you say, "I'm old enough to have life figured out and young enough to live it." Oh my! I like that. Okay, I love how do you like that yeah. one? There, sure, that's, that's for you, Bill. We'll, we'll be listening to you tonight on WABCRadio.com, 770 on your dial, and in, we're in 36 states on that time. And uh, thank you, Bill O'Reilly. Number one show at 9 o'clock. Thank you so thank much, you, Bill O'Reilly. Thank you. And uh, I understand we have uh, we me and uh, Congressman Peter King. We had uh, uh, Vice President Pence here at uh, – Noontime today, mm-hmm. and uh, you asked them some good tough we asked questions. Them some good questions. So why don't we put on Vice President Pence? With us today is uh, former Vice President well, that was uh, fun. Pence, and uh, in the studio with us, with uh, along with uh, former Congressman Peter King. I hate the word former, <laughs> you know. And uh, uh, but uh, let, let's talk about all the successes of the four years uh, that you had with. Uh, President Trump. I mean, uh, I know you were there in the same room all the time, and you helped make all the decisions. Tell us about those four years of experience. Well, John, first, great to see you and great to see my friend Pete King. And I I hate the word former before (laughs) his whole title. Uh, America misses him in that leadership role, but I know your listeners get to hear his wisdom every day. you know, I, I wrote a lot about it in my new autobiography, So Help Me God, about the close working relationship President Trump and I had for those four and a half years that we were together. And I appreciate you describing it that way, John, because um, whether it was uh, uh, moving the largest tax cuts uh, in American history, whether it was securing our border, whether it was appointing three justices to the Supreme Court or advancing America's interests uh, in the world, uh, I, I'm very grateful for the fact that uh, the president uh, uh, tasked me and included me and engaged me uh, on a regular basis on moving an agenda that left America stronger, more prosperous, uh, and more secure than any time in my lifetime, and ultimately saw our nation through the worst pandemic in 100 years. I'll, I'll always be proud of the record of the Trump-Pence administration. Uh, and honored to have served as vice president during those extraordinary four years. Mike, how was excuse me, Mr. Vice President? How was it uh, again? Being... You had it right the first time. Okay, okay, Mike. Uh, again, you're a great member of Congress. It was, it was great working with you, and obviously a great vice president. Which of the foreign policy issues were you most involved in then? Which you think also has the greatest potential for danger as we go forward? Well, I, look, I give uh, I give President Trump uh, a lot of credit for changing the national consensus on China. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pete, you know, we were in our 20 years ago, a lot of us were hoping that if we continued to expand economic trade with China and, uh, and you know, expand uh, cultural interaction, that we would see China ultimately begin to embrace freedom of speech, freedom of religion, all the, all, all the freedoms that we enjoy here. What we've actually seen is the opposite. Uh, that as China's become more prosperous uh, through many unfair trade practices with the United States, it's actually uh, it's actually become more authoritarian with its own people, and its military has not only become stronger but more aggressive in the Asia Pacific. And so, um, 
Uh, I remember when I was sent uh, overseas uh, to uh, represent the United States, uh, um, I ended up in one meeting nose-to-nose with President Xi, and I delivered him a couple of messages from the president very directly. He and I gave speeches that very same day, and I I do believe that the the greatest uh, uh, threat to our country strategically and economically in the decades ahead uh, is communist China and uh, and. At this point, at least, the, the Biden administration has not undone the strong tariffs that we put into effect. But it's only been a beginning, and we've got to continue to stand firm uh, as a nation. How about Iran? Well, on that front, I'm deeply troubled by the fact the Biden administration has reengaged Iran uh, in attempting to restart the Iran nuclear deal. I mean, Pete, you know that part of the world uh, better than I ever will. Uh, but I will tell you that... Uh, I couldn't be more proud that after four years we had isolated Iran as never before mm-hmm. and supported Israel as never before, recognized Jerusalem uh, as the capital of Israel, moved the embassy there, represent, recognized Israel's control over the Golan Heights. Everyone said that our policies would reap the whirlwind. Mm-hmm. By contrast, actually before we left office, uh, two Arab nations for the first time in 25 years normalized relations in the Abraham Accords with Israel. And so the fact that this administration has essentially, you know, allowed the progress in the Abraham Accords to atrophy and has reopened negotiations with Iran on the Iran nuclear deal, I think is is 180 degrees the wrong direction. Uh, And it calls for uh, a strong stand by Republicans in the new majority in the Congress come January. I, I, I just say in closing, my son Sean is your biggest fan. He told me to pass that on. <laughs> Give him my very best. Now, your, your administration, uh, President Trump and Vice President Pence, uh, you were very well respected worldwide. Uh, people are saying uh, the Prime Minister of, uh, of uh, Hungary had said that uh, Ukraine would have never happened if you guys were still in charge. Afghanistan would have never happened if you guys were there. Uh, And North Korea respected you. China respected you. And uh, it's, what do you say now under under President Biden, uh, there's a lot of doubt uh, in in our country and the world. Well, I think what we proved under the Trump-Pence administration was, Peace follows strength. And from day one, we made the largest new investments in our national defense since the days of Ronald Reagan. We launched uh, a new branch of our armed forces, the Space Force. More important than that, we actually allowed our armed forces to do their job, uh, freed them up to take down the ISIS caliphate and their leader. Uh, We used cruise missiles against the Syrian regime when they used chemical weapons against their own people. And, of course, it was our armed forces that took out the most dangerous terrorist in the world, Qasem Soleimani. And all of that, I think, established a credible threat of the use of force and a demonstrated commitment to American strength. I I really do believe under this administration, where we've seen a flatlining Mm -hmm. uh, of our military spending, and the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan has done nothing other than uh, embolden uh, the enemies of freedom around the world. I agree with what you heard and what you said, John. I, I don't think, number one, I don't believe the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan would have ever happened under our watch. Never. 
And number two, it history records the Trump-Pence administration was the only four years in the 21st century where Russia did not attempt to redraw international lines by force. They did it under the Bush administration. They did it under the Obama-Biden administration. And now they've done it again in moving against Ukraine under the Biden-Harris administration. I think the world knew under our administration America meant business. America was committed to our national defense, to defending our interests in the world. We're prepared to do that and had the ability to do it. That's all changed. And what you're seeing now is the truth of history, that is that weakness arouses evil, but peace comes through strength. Lastly, because uh, we're almost at its time, is I believe in immigration. I was an immigrant. Uh, and, but the way it's being done, there's got to be checks and balances who's coming in. You can't, I mean, you can't have, open up the, the jails in, in uh, Central America and then send all the people our way. We can't, you know, I, I believe in immigration, but I believe in checks and balances who's coming. Five million people have come into this country illegally since Joe Biden became president of the United States. And it is a direct result of President Biden undoing the successful policies that we put into effect in the Trump-Pence administration. We built a wall, did internal enforcement. I negotiated for the president a remain-in-Mexico policy that required people to remain in Mexico while they apply for asylum. And Title 42, which is literally poised to be taken down uh, before the end of this week, all reduced illegal immigration and asylum abuse by 90%. This administration came in through all of that progress to the wind. And you need look no further than the Democrat mayor of El Paso, who declared a state of emergency yesterday because they had 15,000 people come across the border into El Paso in a single week. We know how to secure the border. Uh, that's not mutually exclusive to fixing what's broken in our immigration system. My grandfather, not far from here in 1923, stepped off a boat from Ireland onto Ellis Island, he went to Chicago, drove a bus for 40 years. I was named after him. We owe it to fix this broken immigration system, but it all begins with getting mm-hmm. back to the border security and upholding the law that we did under our administration. Absolutely. And that's where it's got to begin. Absolutely. My grandfather, both of them, 1913 through Ellis Island. Amazing. And it's amazing. And uh, uh, Mr. Vice President, uh, thank you for everything you've done for our country and Hopefully, there's a great future in, you know, if I, if, if I visualize the future, there could be a great future for you and our country. And please, do what you have to do to keep our country safe. Thank you, John. Peter? You know we will. It's always great being with Mike Pence. Mike, good luck to you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Go Irish. No, no, no. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Thank you. Merry Christmas. And my, my wife is a Hoosier. So Hoosier. She's from Indiana. Right. <laughs> we love her. Thank you. Well, that was uh, Vice President Pence and... Uh, he is one very, very decent person, a, a real straight arrow, a family man. A good I mean, man, yeah. You, you, you can't not say one thing bad about him. No, absolutely not. And uh, It's uh, hard to get people like that to serve today. Yeah. It really yeah. is. Well, he's middle America from Indiana. He's very presidential. Yeah. Look, whatever happens, happens. And right now, uh, we're going to have Lou Dobbs comes back and tell us how the market was. Mm-hmm. And after that? 
After that, we are going to be speaking with Ambassador Earl Mack regarding the war in Ukraine. Will winter decide the fate of this war? And also Andrew McCarthy regarding the charges against Trump and also Dr. Mark Siegel. Why Title 42 could have health ramifications for America Americans. Keep it right here. Cats let's, at go night. To, let's go to Lou Dobbs. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night show. On the line for us right now, we have Ambassador Earl Mack. He was a former ambassador to Finland, and he recently traveled with Governor Pataki to Ukraine. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Ambassador Mack. Good evening, and um, thank you very much for your interest in our in, in our travels and your interest in Ukraine. Um, happy holidays to you all. And firstly, I'd like to salute the brave Ukrainian people who are fighting for our freedom. In fact, they're fighting for the world's freedom. The way they're, the, the way they're fighting without any heat, uh, without any services, uh, with um, self-detonating drones going off in the middle of the night. So not only do they not have uh, heat, power, grid, uh, they, uh, they, they have now no sleep because these detonating drones uh, go off timing in the middle of the night, and, and uh, it's like a, a torture chamber. Ambassador, it's uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, sir. I wanted to ask you about the article that you just did in The Hill, in which you said Zelensky is now facing a Valley Forge moment. What did you mean by that, sir? Well, you know, John, thank you, but his troops are freezing. He has no medication, uh, very few doctors to help his wounded troops, and yet they're fighting on. There's no power. There's no heat. Uh, there's uh, drones going off every every minute or every hour around the country. Um, how can an army succeed? But yet, valiantly, they're succeeding, John. Understood. Uh, tell us, uh, it, it's going to be the, the next three, four months of hard winter um you think is there a, is there a movement to have any kind of settlement between the russians and the, and the ukrainians well i can't say i'm not that informed but it doesn't really look like that to me it seems like a uh, uh, putin has got to have some kind of a win to uh, to show his people uh, that that this wasn't all in vain, and that his troops have not died in vain. I have um, uh, a a workout uh, teacher uh, that comes to me, and she's from Russia, and they came in the middle of the night. My trainers brought. Uh, her brother is outside, lives outside of Moscow. And they came to bang the door down in the middle of the night 
according to her, and uh, and, and try to grab the brother uh, as a conscript. Um, and they and they are so worried um, about his safety. You know, one thing we noticed when we were there, uh, they were talking about a hotline that the uh, that uh, the Russian troops can call to surrender, um, and there is no morale. There is no training. Uh, uh, they have people that are released from prison, sent over without any training to fight. Um, they, there's the Wagner Group, uh, that is 30,000. Um, they are probably one of the best trained uh, fighting groups around. And now we see uh, that... Uh, uh, Putin has traveled to see Lukashenko. And why does he want to go to see Lukashenko? He wants more troops. He wants more access through his country. And who should be afraid of that? Uh, Countries like Moldova um, and all the surrounding countries uh, that are at risk here. There are... 40 million um, Ukrainians, 10 million, almost 10 million of which have fled Ukraine, that are in panic. Um, in fact, when we uh, when we were there, uh, we went to uh, Bereshov to deliver our heaters, and and these heaters were um, industrial size heaters. And they could heat up to 150,000 people. So uh, thank you again for bringing, uh, bringing me on, creating this awareness. Thank you, Ambassador Mack. Thank you. You, you and Governor Pataki are doing God's work and, and helping these people. At least they have heat in the wintertime. And uh, thank you for everything you have do and have done for America. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. God's prayer should be answered. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas and uh, happy Hanukkah. And uh, right now we have Andy McCarthy on the line. He's a former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. He's a columnist as well. Andy McCarthy, we have to talk about the latest news today. It looks like the January 6th committee has referred uh, criminal charges. They want to charge Trump criminally. They were asking the Department of Justice to do so. What's your take? Do you think it'll actually happen? Uh, it was expected that the committee would file these uh, what they call referrals, right. which are simply recommendations by Congress that uh, the Justice Department uh, pursue an investigation and potential prosecution of someone. But they're legally non-binding. They're just it's basically theater. They, they don't mean anything. Uh, there's no requirement that the Justice Department even acknowledge them, much much less take action based on them. The only relevance I think they actually have is that they could hurt the prosecution um, because to the extent that, you know, I don't expect Trump to be charged. But if he were charged in connection with January 6th, he could now claim that, uh, you know, no charges were ever brought against him. Uh, even though the Justice Department had spent two years and prosecuted 800 people until a highly political committee 
suddenly called for his prosecution after he announced his candidacy uh, for the presidency. And then the Biden Justice Department obliged by, um, you know, returning a politicized indictment in an attempt to, you know, uh, sideline Biden's opponent in the 2024. Is this this congressional committee, does it go down in a dictionary with the same thing as the words for grand jury? They're they're trying to indict a uh, ham sandwich? Well, John, there's a lot to that. The one thing I would say is that um, a grand jury actually has the authority to indict. This is is, very different from a criminal committee. This is and it's Richard Weinberg. This is merely, as you correctly point out, merely a referral. The problem is you have a very politicized Justice Department under Merrick Garland. And then if there is an indictment that comes out of this, you have a very politicized jury pool in the District of Columbia. What do you say about that? Well, I think it's it's still very difficult for the Justice Department. I, number one, I think, you know, if they thought that they really want to make a January 6th case on Trump, if they thought they had one, they would already have brought one. Right. And I, I think the absurdity of this is the last thing, the last crime that the, the committee referred uh, was incitement to insurrection. And I would just point out that the, the Justice Department has prosecuted 800 people for crimes arising out of January 6th. They haven't charged a single one of them with insurrection. And they haven't charged – not only have they not charged Trump, they haven't even cited him as an unindicted co-conspirator in any of the cases, let alone the violent crime cases that they brought – And the problem is, in a prosecution by the Justice Department, unlike a theatrical hearing by the the January 6th committee, where Trump explicitly says he's calling for a peaceful march down to the Capitol, prosecutors actually have to disclose that to the jury. They don't get to, like the January 6th committee. They don't get to edit it. Yeah, they don't get to pretend that it was never said and that it didn't happen. So, you know, I think that's the reason why they haven't brought – uh, charges, even though, yes, they have a very friendly jury pool, but you still have to have a case. In its totality, they know it's a case they lose, so they don't want to bring it. You know, by the way, when is somebody going to bring up that them themselves are lying to Congress, the rest of the Congress, and lying to the people Schiff of America? lies all the time. Schiff lies all the time. But, but, but when is somebody going to get up and say enough is enough? Well, you know, there's... It's not like um, there's two sides to this street. You know, basically, uh, members of Congress uh, have a lot of leeway because they know they can't be prosecuted on the basis of anything they say in connection with their legislative responsibilities. What was the name of the uh, British Prime Minister, Johnson? Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson got got thrown out for telling one or two lies. Meanwhile, about a party. About a, a party he attended. <laughs> Meanwhile, if that was if they, they used the same standards as uh, the, as London, there'd be no 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 Congress. Yeah, well, we don't have a parliamentary system, and I think most of us think that's a good thing. Uh, um, and I, you know, look, I, I I think that most people see this for what it is, and that the the upshot of what happened today, if if there's any upshot to it at all, I actually think it's a blip on the screen that will be forgotten pretty quickly because it doesn't have any effect. Mm-hmm. But at most, what what this does is it hurts the Justice Department's ability to try to make a case on Trump because it gives him 
a powerful argument that this is all trumped up politics, if you'll uh, pardon the pun. So I, I don't really think that, I mean, I think they help their own uh, cause today because, you know, they're trying to appeal to uh, a certain demographic in the electorate and they're trying to get hired. What are, Andy, for, uh, what about the documents? Jobs. What about the documents out of Maryland? Yeah, Judge, I think the document's a serious case. Um, yeah. You know, I think uh, he needs to be very concerned about that. And I think if, if frankly, uh, if the Justice Department is seriously looking, I know they want to make a January 6th case. It, uh, the fact that they haven't brought one in spite of how badly they want to make one is a pretty good indication that they know that they don't have one. But I do think they think the uh, documents case is pretty strong and they could bring it whenever they want to bring it. Andy McCarthy, Trump did release a statement today. In part, it reads, quote, this kangaroo court has has been nothing more than a vanity project that insults Americans' intelligence and makes a mockery of our democracy. So that was one of the lines there. And I, I agree with you because I think if they were going to charge Trump with the, with anything related to January 6th, they sure would have done it by now. And we also need to find out if he was trying to incite an insurrection, why would he ask for the National Guard? And why didn't Nancy Pelosi allow it? And we have so many questions on and on and on that uh, do they really want this all to come out? Yeah, well, I guess my my basic question is how do you charge someone for inciting an insurrection when – you have 800 people who, you know, many of them are the people who committed the violence, and none of them got charged with insurrection. So if you didn't, if you didn't right. think there was enough evidence to charge insurrection, how could you charge someone for inciting exactly insurrection? Right. Um, even when, <laughs> even leaving aside that he said peaceful, like about you know a bunch uh, of I'm, times. I'm curious though as to why you think the document case is real. You, you think there's something other than Kim Jong Un love love letters or there's over 300 documents. I mean, I, I, we don't even have to speculate that from from press reporting. That's actually been in. I know, but there's, the diff- there's different levels of, of top, you know, a, a note from one head of state to another. If, you know, Prime Minister Abe said, here's a dozen golf balls, you know, go have a great round of golf because it's head of state to head of state. Isn't that classified? There's 300 documents. Some of them are undoubtedly in the category of things that are overclassified in the government and probably shouldn't be classified. Others of them are very heavy-duty stuff that the president has access to because it's it pertains the stuff to that we thought he didn't read. Defense. The, that we used to complain he didn't the read, right? The issue isn't whether he read it. The issue is whether he, he had it. Has it, it, had it. it wasn't supposed to be. And he's exactly well, right. Could he, he face criminal charges for those classified documents? Right. Why haven't they made that case yet then? I think they think they can bring it at any time. And uh, to my – I think it's a political decision, frankly. I think that as long as Trump – they like the idea of Trump uh, being – you know, causing havoc in the Republican uh, primary – and I think that as long as he's a viable they candidate, want him to win the primary. they want well. They at very least they want him to be a, a, a disruptor, vital participant. A disruptor. And as long as that's the case, there's no need to bring the indictment. There's no statute of limitations problem here. They can bring it. Okay. You know, I, I just they worry they keep it. empowering him. The, the, you know, if they don't have something real there, they just keep empowering him. Yeah, but yeah, I I just think that the minute he's not a viable candidate anymore, they'll pull the trigger and bring it. Yeah, but Andy. In a larger sense, this is a very big problem because the very credibility and reputation of the Justice Department is at stake in the way it handles this. What do you say about that? 
Well, I think that's Garland thinks he's addressed that by assigning it to a independent, not an independent counsel, a special counsel under the regs, which they will try to pitch as given the Justice Department and Biden some, you know, insulation and detachment from the whole thing. I don't think it'll work, um, frankly. But, you know, the as we know, uh, special counsels still report to the attorney general and all uh, prosecutorial power in the government is executive power. So, you know, Jack Smith, the special counsel, only has the power that Biden gives him, in effect, because prosecutorial power is executive power. So I don't think that Biden and Garland can actually achieve detachment from this thing, but they'll try. They'll try to say that they delegated this and they don't have anything to do with the decision. I don't know if people buy that. Well, thank you so much, Andy McCarthy. It does give the uh, mainstream media outlets the opportunity to once again show those horrific images from January 6th. That's um, that's the unfortunate part. But thank you for all that you do. And we look forward to speaking to you again. Thanks. Merry Christmas. Merry Merry Christmas. Christmas. Uh, When we come back, we are speaking to Dr. Mark Siegel, and he's going to talk about the health ramifications if Title 42 were to be lifted. Keep it right here. Cats at night. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us, Dr. Mark Siegel. We started the show with some breaking news, Dr. Siegel, that they've put a pause now, the Supreme Court, on Title 42 being lifted. If that had been lifted, there were some estimates that we could have seen upwards of 5 million migrants flooding our country every single year, 15,000 a month. But you were had an interesting take regarding health-wise what that would mean with having so many migrants coming in. Tell us about it. You know, I wonder why John Roberts made this announcement. Maybe he knew you had invited me on the show today, Lydia. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it was kind of spooky, right? <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm hoping that it leads to, um, you know, something a little bit more permanent, because I don't really think that Title 42 is unconstitutional at all. Not that I'm a constitutional attorney, but, you know, what the purpose of that Title 42 is to keep infectious diseases that threaten our citizenry from coming into the country through our borders. It's a national security issue. And I think Robert Redfield was right to to invoke it at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, but he also did it because of influenza coming in. And I have a piece coming out with him, by the way, on this over the next couple of days. And I think it's correct. You know, you had those cages that were there under the Obama administration, was supposed to have 20 people in them, had hundreds. And now, of course, you have have the Biden administration sending people around the country already. It's burgeoning. The CBP agents can't handle it already. There's issues with a lot of a lot of trauma, a lot of contagious diseases, uh, dehydration, potable water, diarrheal diseases. Drugs, of course, are not covered under Title 42, but the, the influx of fentanyl is an enormous problem that goes along with this. What about polio, too, and all these other diseases that many people in these poor countries have that, not been that's vaccinated? What we, talked, we, we talked to Vice President Pence before, right. and that's what we talked about uh, on the borders. You can't let these kids in without an examination because they end up going to schools with our kids and making our kids sick. Well, John, you know that in 1900, when my grandfather was coming in here... What year? Uh, what year? Uh, he came in 1903 at Ellis Island, but he was... Same as Peter King. Uh, and and he was screened for tuberculosis. They felt your neck. And that was legal immigration. Legal immigration, they, they pushed a pause. My wife came in via, via Vienna, and they waited six months. They, they had to go through all kinds of screening. 
None of this illegal immigrants coming in with no screening. What's happening? It's crazy. I mean, uh, you go to the airport, you need a passport, you got to take off your belt, you got to take off your shoes. Uh, take I mean, off your clothes. <laughs> yeah, you go, you, you go to the border, they, they welcome you in. They give you a cell phone, they give you a free hotel room. You heard what... Uh, and they send you to New York, and they give you a free hotel free room. Free bus right. ride. And, and they boat housing for you now, too. Vito Fisella, borough president of Staten Island, says it costs upwards of like $8,000 to house a small family at a hotel each month. Each month. And, 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 and you mentioned the hospitals yet. Hospitals and, and schools. I, I, talk, I talk about the stations, but you know, but there's also hospitals completely going to be overwhelmed now, and they were at the beginning of the COVID pandemic as well, and throughout 2021, they're going to be overwhelmed by sick people, and that's you know that is not, and there's way too much attention on on places like New York City where we are. You know, what does this mean to our city? I, I mean, I care about our city greatly, but what about the state of Texas? Arizona, California. I mean, it just goes on and on. El Paso, they've already declared a state of emergency. Bill of the Nellis Island type operation on the borders of Texas, Arizona, and New Mexico. Remain in Mexico policy, or you have the judges at the border process the people right away. Remain in Mexico is a policy that worked and should be restored. Instead of 87,000 IRS agents, how about border agents and officials? Process these claims, and let's figure this out. By the way, if you don't take off your shoes, you can hide fentanyl in there, too, right, John? Absolutely. Well, well, that music, what does that mean, John? Well, it's the end of the day. Thank you, uh, Dr. Siegel, for coming on with us. And, uh, Always great. Thank and, you. And uh, thank you, Ernie Anastas, for paying a special visit. And Judge Weinberg, Tony Carbonetti, Lydia. And what do we all stand for? This is six days till Christmas. Oh, my goodness. Merry Christmas, all. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. And happy Hanukkah. And uh, We stand, stand for, for truth, truth, justice, and the American way. way. God bless America. at night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.